Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And we almost will get into verse 23. <laughs> Not quite, but that's where we are. I am so excited to be in this. We had to go through the, the fifth chapter, 19 through 21, to get here. I'm glad we're here. Now, do you know this morning that you can fake all the gifts? Do you know that? Any of them, you can fake it. But you cannot fake the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in a person's life. You cannot fake the fruit. A lot of people say, well, this person's filled with the Spirit because he does this or he does that. Oh, listen, this is the key to being filled with the Spirit of God. If this character is not in your life, you are not walking under the control of the Spirit of God. This is so important for us to understand. This is what it is to experience Christ in our life. Verse 22, let me just read it for you, verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, the Christian life is so awesome when we just simply choose to walk by the Spirit of God. When we choose to be willingly led by the Spirit of God, it's incredible what God does. That's verse 16 and verse 18 of chapter 5. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit are not under law. It's only then that we experience Christ now, hang on to this now. We've been saying it for 18 months. Christ living his life in and through us. That's what we call living grace. Saving grace is that Christ is the only means of salvation. We understand that. Living grace, though, is Christ living his life in and through us once we're saved, as we learn to walk by the Spirit of God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Now, you know this verse by heart by now. But Christ lives. Where does he live? In me. He lives in me. Now, if he lives in me, I get to experience him. I get to experience him. It's not Wayne trying to be like him. It's Jesus being Jesus in Wayne and in you. And the life which I now live in the flesh, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ reproduces his life in us. His actual character is produced in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Both Romans and Galatians identify the Spirit as being the Spirit of Christ. All of his character, all of the character of Christ that is produced in our life is wrapped up in one word. It's incredible. And that's the word love. That's who he is. He's not like love. He is love. Now remember, it's not just love that we experience here when we walk by the Spirit. It is His love that we experience. Christ's love is the essence of the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week. Galatians 5.22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now the word fruit is singular. That tells us something. It points to the nine characteristics that are mentioned in verse 22 and 23 Then tells us that they're in a cluster. They're in a cluster. It's different from the deeds of the flesh. Deeds of the flesh, that's a plural word. 
You may, when you choose to walk after the flesh, you may fall to some of those traps, but not all of them at the same time. However, when you walk in the Spirit, when you walk by the Spirit, all of these nine things have to be in your life at one time. But really, don't worry about that. It's just simply Jesus being Jesus in your life. The word for love is the word agape. Agape. Agape is the deep inner resolve. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice, a deep inner resolve to do what is spiritually necessary for our brother in Christ, and really any, for anyone else, it doesn't matter. And it, it doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter what it costs us. That's what this love is all about. The definite article is not used there, which means it's going to characterize. We're going to see what this love is like, and that's what those other eight characteristics are all about. When this love is being produced within us, we saw the inward effectiveness of this love. It's incredible. It's what changed the Apostle John and made him into the apostle of love. It's what changes all of us. It's the love of Christ in us. And as, and as we begin to comprehend it, as Ephesians says, to the length and the depth and the breadth and the height, we begin to comprehend it as we walk, strengthening the inner man. It changes us on the inside. It's incredible. God gives us the discernment to know the needs of our brother. And then he gives us two things that we looked at last time, and that's joy and peace. Once we have that resolve, once we see what the need is, and God gives us the resolve to move to meet that true need, not a felt need, then something happens to us. It's like a joy just floods our soul because it's the joy of knowing that God's in control of all of this. This is not my idea. We didn't come up with this in a committee meeting. This is something God put on my heart. This is something God gave me the discernment to understand. And now he's in charge and leading me. But not only is there that deep inner rejoicing, there is that awesome, awesome peace of God that floods your soul, the sense of well-being to know that you're being a part of God's business and that you've joined him in what he's doing on this earth through the lives of people that are surrendered to him. Now make sure you're putting all this together. I'm going to say this over and over again because we're doing three at a time, it seems like, and you can get disjointed. No, you've got to keep it together. You've got to keep it together. The love is the key. Love is the key that, whole, that everything else is just characterizing that word love. So when Wayne is walking in the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, we begin to discern needs of people that we haven't seen before. Felt needs and real needs are two different things, and no man in a, in a group can come up with a, a real need. Only God can give that discernment. And once you have it, you have that inner resolve to meet that need no matter what it costs you because it's a spiritual benefit to your brother. And with that comes the joy and the peace. And that inward ex effectiveness of that love is incredible. And that's what we looked at the last time. This is Christ living his life in and through us. It's nothing mystical. It's just Christ being who he is. He's still on earth. Oh, what well, Brother Wayne is at the right hand of the Father. I know that. But in his spirit, he still lives on earth in the lives of people who, who are truly walking by the Spirit. People can still see him. They see him every day. They see him in you and in me. Well, we've looked at the inward effectiveness. Now we're going to look at the outward example of God's love. That's what we want to see next. The outward example of God's Word. Now, the words that we're going to come to now, each one of them, again, tied to that word love, teach us a lot about how this is going to be perceived by other people. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then he adds an interesting word, patience, patience. The word patience quickly tells us 
that there are going to be some brothers there in the body of Christ that are going to be the odd brothers. The only problem with that statement is every time I think somebody else is an odd brother, they're looking at me saying the same thing. <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> but there are going to be some interesting people in the body of Christ. You see, you would not need or I would not need this love if there were not some unloving people out there. If, you, if there were not any unloving people, we could just love everybody because everybody would love us back. That's the whole bottom line of what Paul's trying to say here in Galatians. I love to talk about children that are irritations so that adults that are listening can understand that maybe they have the similar characteristics. But it's just a lot more fun to talk about the kids. I heard the story about the fellow that had a young fellow in his home, a little boy, his son, six or seven years old, eight years old. He just a real smart mouth. You ever been around a child like that? Never knew when to keep his mouth shut. Always said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Sarcastic was, was not even a... I mean, you push it beyond that. That's not a way to describe him. It's an understatement. They go to the store one day, and the father gets him out of the car and says, all right, I'm going to let you go in here with me, but there are going to be some interesting people in here, and I don't want you to say one word about any of them. If they're ugly, you keep your mouth shut. If they're short, you keep your mouth shut. You just don't say anything about them. So they go in the store, <laughs> and the little boy's wonderful. He's just as quiet as he can possibly be until they started checking out. And this large lady, <laughs> mature in all aspects of life, <laughs> was standing in front of them in the line. And he knew immediately what that little boy was thinking. And he just looked at him and just gave him that hard look like, don't you open your mouth and say a thing. <laughs> the lady had a, a beeper on. And uh, so they were checking her out, and all of a sudden the beeper went off, and the little boy jumped up and said, Daddy, Daddy, get out of the way. She's backing up. <laughs> well, <laughs> there. <laughs> that's a kid. There's some people like that in the body of Christ, <laughs> and we're all going to have to deal with them down the road, and that's why Paul is telling us, what he's telling us. The beautiful thing is that God, now listen to this, God gives us a resolve in our hearts, now listen to me, not only to know their need, but to meet the need of those kinds of people that are in the body of Christ. You tell me that somebody being filled with the Spirit is filled with the Spirit because he can speak in another tongue, stand on his head, stack BBs, do he, listen, that doesn't impress me a bit, not one bit. What impresses me is when I see a person is being chewed up, and I mean spit out by somebody, turn right around and love that person and meet the need of that person. That's what God is all about. The resolve to meet their spiritual need will also involve the very patience of Christ himself. Now understand, it's not just patience. It's his patience. We're experiencing him, folks. We're experiencing him. It's not just patience. It's his patience. The word for patience is the word macro through mia. Macro through mia. Uh, macro means long. And the word through mia means passionate suffering. Long, passionate endurance or suffering with somebody. It's the characteristic of God. It's how he looks at you and I. It is long suffering. It's the supernatural ability to tolerate a person whose behavior and demeanor 
is irritating to say the least. We think we've had it bad in putting up with unlovable people, but just think of what God has to put up with. Have you ever thought about that? If it's his patience, look who he has to put up with. If you don't understand what I'm saying, look in the mirror real carefully when you go home at night. You know, just the very fact that he puts up with us shows the patience that God has. Paul was so honest. I love the Apostle Paul. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, he made a statement. He said, yet, by the way, let me explain to you that when we don't put the Scripture on the screen, I'm trying to get you to turn to those Scriptures. And somebody said, Wayne, slow down then. Okay, I'm slowing down now. Get in the New Testament. Go to the right. Go to the three T's, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. And right in the middle of it, you'll find 1 Timothy 1.16. I just want people to love their Bibles. I want you to bring your Bibles with you. I don't want to put them up here on the screen so you can go home and not worry about it all week long. I want it to be real to you. That's my heart. So understand, nobody's telling me to do that. That's my call. 1 Timothy 1, verse 16 says, Yet for this reason I found mercy. This is Paul talking. So that in me as the foremost, the chief, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. Watch this. As an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. What, what Paul just simply said there was that he was the kind of sinner that Jesus came to save. And implied with the word patience means, Paul says, I was obnoxious, hard-headed, opinionated, but God had patience with me and brought me to my salvation. He said, I was an example, an example of how God has patience for all of us. God's patience is remarkable. It's remarkable. His willingness to put up with, with folks. And, and, I, and I have to say it again, with, like me. Why does he put up with me? I don't know. But it's because of who he is. And his love is filled with his patience. Don't separate the two. Because he loves us, he's patient with us. Just to think that we can actually experience his patience towards others. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks to the religious Jews in Romans chapter 2. If you'd like to go back to the left. If you're in Timothy, go left to Romans chapter 2. In verse 4, he's identified his audience in verse 17 as being the Jewish religious Jews there. And again, I'm not knocking Israel. I'm just saying these were the hardliners. These were the ones who adamantly rejected Jesus as, as the Messiah and, and were very ruthless in what they did. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, and he makes a statement to them. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? And look what the words he puts together here. Kindness, tolerance and patience. Does that tell you about the behavior and demeanor of others? Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. You know what Paul's saying to him? Don't you understand how God has put up with you to this point? Now, if he's saying that to Israel, th think what we Gentiles have to think about. We were the pagan world. And he said, he's reminding them of the long suffering of God. We're studying the book of Judges on Wednesday nights and invite any of you to come. It's awesome. But we, we start watching that cycle of sin. They go from sin to sorrow to salvation to security to sin to sorrow. And it's just a cycle. They just continued not to be willing to trust God. And yet he loved them and his patience with them endured their behavior. When we walk by the Spirit, which Paul talks about in Ephesians a little bit differently. You see, it's not the same. The Bible doesn't say seven uh, different things. It says the same thing seven different ways. Let me just read it for you. Ephesians chapter 4, we've been there quite a few times. 
Paul says in verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's the same thing as walking by the Spirit. That's the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. That's the same thing as walking in the light. That's the same thing as abiding in the vine. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he says in verse 2, and he, he shows you what's going to come out of that. With humility and all humility and gentleness. And then he adds our word, with patience. And he begins to give us another clue that we're going to need it. Showing tolerance for one another in love. That's interesting to me. He talks about Jew and Gentile in chapter 2, and that's, that's what he's trying to show here, having tolerance for one another. And then he says in verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I want you to notice he didn't say produce. You can produce unity in a group of people. Only God can produce it. He's told us to preserve it, not to produce it. And what preserves it is when people walk by the Spirit of God and the love of Jesus is being manifested in their life and they're seeing the need of each other and they're filled with joy and His peace as, as they go about meeting the needs of others and then with the patience to tolerate the people that are unloving. When I first went into ministry, honest and truthfully, I believed at that point in my life, to show you how ridiculous it was, I believed that everybody in the church just loved Jesus was in the Word every day, walked with Him. And when we came to church, it was going to be like a revival every time I, I, I came to church. That's what I thought when I went into it. <laughs> oh, brother. Now that my son is here and my, my son-in-law is in the ministry, they're beginning to learn what Paul is trying to tell us, that they're going to be hard-headed people in the body of Christ. I've been one of them. Have you been one of them? I've been one of them that will not walk by the Spirit of God, and therefore you're going to have to deal with them. How do you deal with somebody that's unloving and irritable and just can't say nice things? And Paul says you love them, and the only way you can love them is the Spirit of God has to produce it in your life, and He'll give you a joy and a peace, and even if you deal with the irritating people, and He'll give you even a patience to endure, to stay with them. Well, as I said earlier, this very word patience tells us all. We're now seeing the type of people <laughs> that are in the body of Christ. You know, if everybody was just like us, it'd be okay, wouldn't it? That's, I, I, I've said it many times, if it wasn't for people, I could live the Christian life, but that's a wrong statement. If it wasn't for people, then I wouldn't need that which God has given me to live the Christian life if I'd have said it right in the first place. That's the way to, to say it. Paul in Colossians, let's go to Colossians. I don't know where you are, just go right. I think you're in Romans. <laughs> go right. Pass Philippians and uh, be the first corner that you turn on there. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. And Paul does a very similar thing here. Again, he's, he's showing us that there's not gonna, everybody's not going to be full of joy all the time, and you're going to have to deal with that. Colossians 3.12 says in verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if you study Colossians and Ephesians, all he just simply said was put on Christ because these are things that speak of him. But then he, watch what he does here. Verse 13 of Colossians 3, bearing with one another. <laughs> what does that tell you? If we had a discussion time right now, what is that going to tell you right here? Bearing with one another. Why would we have to bear with one another if everybody's walking by the Spirit? Everybody's not walking by the Spirit. So therefore, bear with one another, and forgiving 
each other. Why would you have to forgive each other if you're in the body of Christ and having revival all the time? <laughs> because people are going to do things to you in the body of Christ you're not going to like. But God's going to change your response. You won't react. You'll respond. You'll respond in the love he has if you'll walk by the Spirit of God. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, <laughs> that never happens in the, in the church. Just as the Lord forgave you, look at, look at the measure here. Just as the Lord forgave you unconditionally, he says what? You also, or so also should you. As the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Peter shows us again that we're going to run into this kind of thing, but he, he makes a, another point. Peter wants to make sure that the, that the wrong reactions you're getting from people is not because of your own re wrong reactions towards them or actions towards them. And so he says in 1 Peter 2.20, you know where 1 Peter is? If you're in Colossians, keep going right. Keep going right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. I'm going to learn to slow down. <laughs> I was over in Romania, and they said, slow down, Wayne. And then I heard them speak. And I'm thinking, that's a pot calling the kettle black. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. 1 Peter 2, 20 says, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? That's our word. He says, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, you, you deserved it to start with. But then he said, but if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure that, or do it, this finds favor with God. So Peter just wants to say, now wait a minute, make sure you understand what he's not saying. Some people are going to treat you wrong because you've treated them wrong. But he says, now listen, when you're doing what is right, you're walking by the Spirit and you suffer because of that, and then you're patient, that's God in you. That's God in you. And that's worthy. That's noteworthy. The word patience, the very patience of Christ himself is manifest in us when we're walking by the Spirit of God, when we're experiencing His love for one another in the body of Christ, when we are filled with His joy and peace as we seek to be about what which He is doing in and through us, and it's always geared toward the person who treats us in a very irritably, irritable way. Well, the people that are intolerable are all around us, but He adds a word to that word patience. And the word patience is, is first of all, the, the ability to tolerate, to bear up under in a sense. There's another word for circumstances, epomeno. But this is the word macrothumia, which has to do with people. But then he adds another word that will help us out. He says kindness, kindness. Patience, kindness. You see, we're not talking about grin and bear it. A lot of people hear this message and say, well, I guess I better love them and just suck it up, boy, grin and bear it. And you can deal. No, that's not what we're talking about at all. In fact, if you're dealing with the character of Jesus, not only is he patient, but there is a kindness that goes along with that. Now, let me explain the word kindness, because we need to understand this, all of us. The word kindness is the word krestotis. Krestotis. It does not necessarily refer to what a person does. I guarantee you, if you're thinking of the word kindness right now, you're thinking about what somebody did that was a kind act towards you. That's not what he's talking about. That comes up next. What he's talking about right here is the tender heart that a person has when he, before he ever does anything. It's talking about the heart of the individual. It's talking about the motivation of the individual. Not grin and bear it. It's a true love here. And that true love is manifested in a tender heart towards people 
around them. It's associated with the love of Christ in Titus chapter 3. Let me just read it for you. Titus 3 and verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared. The kindness of God, our Savior, and His love appeared. The two are tied together. That's exactly the way God looked at us in this world irritating to him, except he loved the sinner and he hated the sin. And with his kindness and his love and his patience and his joy and his peace, he came to die for us on the cross. That's, that's God's intention towards you and I. This is a beautiful word, this word kindness. God's love so tenderizes us when we experience him in our life. It just melts us down. When we, you, you can't be mad at somebody if you're in the presence of God. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't even have a wrong thought towards them when you're in the presence of God. God tenderizes you and settles you down and melts your heart down. That's what he's talking about. It's, it's when the sting has been taken out of your heart when you see somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Every one of us has been there. Somebody hurts you, says something, you find out about it, does whatever, and you have a sting in your heart. And you don't even want to see them. When you see them coming down the aisle, you'll walk another way just to get around them. But when you're walking by the Spirit of God, God tenderizes you and removes the sting that's in your heart and gives you a, a love for that person. That's God working in you and in me. It's kindness. It's His kindness. The word kindness is the word used for wine that is mellowed. I don't know anything about wine. I personally think I've tasted cough syrup a whole lot better taste than that stuff. Oh, but some people have to have it. I, I think the, one of their problems is they've never looked in Scripture about being an offense to a, a weaker brother, but that, they just seem to, sh somehow they hadn't gotten that far in their Bible study. They're still in Proverbs somewhere. I was over in Romania, and I didn't know anything about wine. <laughs> and they had Lord's Supper. I, you know, I didn't know that they didn't use grape juice. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they used real wine. Never had any in my mouth before in my whole life. <laughs> and I've never been a sipper of anything. I'm a guzzler. Don't you ever ask me to sip anything and put a straw in it. That's just sissy stuff, man. I didn't grow up that way. You guzzle, man. If you're a man, you guzzle the thing. And it came time for <laughs> they had glasses. They didn't have little cups. I found out a lot of that stemmed out of the Greek Orthodox background. They actually believe it becomes the blood of Christ. And so, therefore, if you open a bottle, you've got to finish it. That's convenient. <laughs> they said when it snowed two feet, they always had a few deacons to make it because they wanted to make sure they had the Lord's Supper that day because they had to finish the bottle. Anyway, I had, had that cup. I just took it and, and drank the whole thing. <laughs> well, you know how it, it has a little bit of a kick. Uh, I, don't, I never experienced that before. I mean, it <laughs> burned all the way down to here. And as I was trying to recover, they asked me to pray. <laughs> and so I tried. I went, <laughs> nothing came out. <laughs> Luke 5.39 has an interesting statement here. Luke 5.39 says, And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. It says, For he says, the old is good enough. You know what that word good enough is? That's our word kindness right here, Christotis. In other words, it's mellowed out. It's smooth. It's not have that sting to it. And they like that old, whatever it is. Y'all probably, some of y'all maybe could help me with that. I don't fully understand it, but I'm getting the picture. 
person walks in the Spirit of God is not caustic in any way. You caustic in any way? Do you like to make your point known right now? Do you like to do that? Or when people are around you, is it just smooth and the mellow character of Jesus because he's in control and you're so loving that brother that you don't have anything caustic to say? Incredible. Well, people that are walking by the Spirit are always looking out for the needs of others because they're the only ones who know what those needs are. God has to show them. And these are the people that are filled with rejoicing and peace in their heart because they know they're being about what God does. But outwardly, God gives them a patience, but not only that, a kindness. I mean, I've been hearing a lot of stuff these days that says, nice people finish last. Well, then I want somebody to come and explain to me the character of Jesus that's produced in our life out of this passage and then back up that statement. I don't find that in the Word of God. I find that Jesus would not quench a smoking flax, nor would he bruise, crush a bruised reed. I find that he was such a calm individual that even when he took a whip in the temple, they knew who he was because all of his attributes were working. I find Jesus being called the Lamb of God, which the dove came and rested upon. And if you've ever been around a dove, they're the most nervous creatures that ever flew in the heavens, and yet only a lamb is gentle enough for a dove to rest upon. It's the character of Jesus, folks. We need to get off this kick about the wheel that squeaks gets oiled and get with walking by the Spirit because the character and demeanor of an individual who knows Jesus and walks in his love, he's been mellowed out. He's been smoothed out. The caustic qualities of his life have been erased. And there's a pure love for people that he deals with. This word kindness is used in Matthew to show how precious his intentions are for you and I when we surrender to him. He says in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is what? You know the word? Light. You know what the word easy is? It's our word, Christotis. My yoke is kind. I don't have hard intentions for you. I have wonderful intentions for you. And my burden is light. You know, even his commandments are not burdensome. Do you realize that when you're walking by the Spirit? 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The only people they're burdensome to are those who don't want to do them. So patience, kindness. And then Paul begins to show the outward manifestation of, this is the first time we've seen it, the actual deeds that are done. He begins to show it in action. And it's our third word. It's the word goodness, goodness. Galatians 5.22 again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, His love, His joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness. The word goodness there is the word agathosini. It's the word that means to, uh, it, it means to, to do something for somebody that is so benevolent that person probably can never pay you back. But it really ministers to their need. That, that's that word. It has no thought in this for yourself whatsoever. This is totally benevolent good. There's another word for good, which means constitutional good. This is the word that means benevolent good, the way God is to you and to me. People that don't deserve it, probably their behavior is obnoxious, but God in us directs us to do for them what they need. It is this goodness, by the way, that baffles the people that are in authority. Do you realize that Christians are the biggest problem to Christianity? 
If we'd walk by the Spirit, you see, that's the garment of Ephesians 4. If we'd walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, then God would produce a character within our lives that disarms the pagans in this world, particularly in government. The reason governments have been so harsh many times has been because of the characteristics of believers. They wore in the wrong garment. It says in Romans 13, and which is the issue that Paul's dealing with, a Roman government and a, a pagan government. How do you respond to a pagan government? And he says in verse 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. <laughs> My wife's so funny. We'll be riding down the road and be a policeman. She'll just beat me up, letting me know that policeman's sitting there. And I said, Dinah, the wicked flee when, when no one pursues. You know, I said, I'm not doing anything wrong. But she's always making sure that I notice that policeman wherever it is. I mean, isn't it funny how we all are? And if we're doing good, you don't have to fear that. That's what he says. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority, Paul says? And I imagine every one of them said, whoa, yeah. Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Do what is good. What do you mean good? I don't mean help a little person across the street. It means do something benevolently good for them that has no thought of return back to yourself. That's divine. We can come up with other excuses for what we call good. I'm talking about what God wants to do through our lives. Over in Romania, the pagan government of the communists in a particular city, they had a church that wanted to build, a pastor wanted to build a church. They didn't have a building, and they were growing. And they went to the mayor, which was right, and the mayor said, absolutely not. So they got together, and they began to pray and said, God, we don't know what to do. We, we can't go beyond what they've told us. And so God put on their hearts to love those people. God created a love for those communist people. They went back to him and said, do you have any building projects you have going on around the town? And they said, yes, we do. And they said, can we help you? He said, well, we haven't got any money to pay you. Oh, no, we'll do this for free. We just want to help you. And they began to build some of the projects that they had around the town. And the mayor just couldn't believe it. And he went to the leader of the believers there. He says, what is it about your people? They work so much harder. They have such a greater character. They have a smile on their face. We have people we pay, and we can't get them to work this hard. And they certainly don't have the right attitude. What's the difference? And they were able to share Christ with him. And he said, I'll tell you one thing. Because of the way you have acted, you build your church. And by the way, I've preached in it. And I'll tell you what, it's beautiful. Because of the testimony of of believers who walked by the Spirit of God. You see, that's what we're talking about. That's what God produces in our life. Let me tell you another passage in Romans 12. Unless you want to turn there with me, turn. If, you, if you're over, over to the right, go back to the left. Romans 12. Several verses here, so turn over there with me. Romans 12. I want you to notice a verse here that God has to remind me of from time to time. You know, it's, it's bad when you're created 6'7", and you weigh 260, and you can handle a lot of things. When I mean, God says, I'm sorry, Wade, you can't use an ounce of it. You do it my way. I'll produce something in you that's different. Romans 12, 19. Romans 12 and verse 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. In other words, God will handle it. Don't you worry about it. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That word vengeance is not vengeance. It's righteousness is mine. You see, righteousness means you're just, and only God knows how to judge. He says, I'll repay that exactly what is owed. I, I'm not like you, Wayne. You would overpay. 
You see, if I was one of the two witnesses in Revelation, it wouldn't be a person living. Because, <laughs> you know, when you get on the interstate highway, they speak and flames come out. I just burn all the cars. I mean, that's, he says, Wayne, you're not the one, son. I'm the one. I'm the one. And I judge righteously. Righteousness is mine. Justice, justness is mine. And he says in verse 20, he tells you, now, what do you do? But if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Now look at this. But overcome evil with what? With good. What kind of good? Benevolent good, which never has a thought for yourself, only for the need of the person, no matter if he's a pagan or what. That's what God creates in our life. The word goodness can be manifested through what you say to somebody. And I will tell you, people that say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, they lie. I'd much rather be beaten, wouldn't you? Boy, those words are much more powerful tools to bring you down. And it says in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No rotten, stinky, smelly word. That's what the word means. But only such a word as is, ah, here we come, is good, benevolently good. And what's it good for? Edification, building somebody up, not tearing them down according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's amazing how some people can be, and I can be. Just, just give me half a chance, and I'll be the same way. Mean-spirited, obnoxious, opinionated, have an agenda I want to fight over, and then God tenderizes your heart. Isn't it awesome? And for those people that treat you that way, it even gives you a love for them, and you even see what their need is and you want to meet so we have the inward effectiveness, the outward, the outward example of God's love. And this love disarms the people that are having so much to say about us. But there's one more, and I've got to hurry. The upward excellency of God's love. Now we've got three. Then we had these today, and then we have this one right here. The upward excellency of God's love. We've got the inward effectiveness. We've got love, joy, and peace. We've got the outward example, which is patience, kindness, and goodness. And now we have the upward excellency of God's love. I'm telling you, when you see this, it has to point to God. It can't point anywhere else. The final three things he mentions, and I will not get to them, only one. Galatians 5, he adds, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And then he says faithfulness. Now, the word faithfulness is the word pistis. It means a firm persuasion that has totally, radically affected my behavior. Now, I want to tell you something. You don't have faith or you don't believe if, if that doesn't change your behavior. If behavior doesn't change and all you've done is comprehended something, you don't know the biblical understanding of belief or faith. That's what changes your life. You're so firmly persuaded. It comes from the word pitho, which means to bow down and surrender to that which you now understand. Pistis is that which is believed. And so I want to challenge the translation. The King James translation says faith. The New American Standard says faithfulness. Now I can see how they stretched it to get that because if a person lives consistently, he'll be dependable to be this way. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here at all. The word is faith. The word is faith. And the word faith means to be so firmly persuaded by something, it motivates you and changes your behavior. What in the world could he be talking about? And I believe it's this. When you're dealing with people that are unloving, that's why you need love. When you're dealing with people that are, 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 are obnoxious, that's what you need that patience for and that kindness to. But you see, 
But when you're dealing with them and you're loving them and you're seeking to meet their need and they keep spitting right back in your face, they keep throwing it right back in your face, this faith that he produces in us causes us never to give up on anybody. Because we believe that as long as we keep walking the way God told us to walk, eternal things are going on. Galatians has already taught us that the hope of faith is righteousness. And what that means is when I, when I walk by faith, I believe that a divine thing just happened. I don't have to see any results. I don't have to see people, people treat me differently. No, sir. I'm believing that somehow it's had an effect on somebody's life. Well, I've got to quit. But I want you to know, isn't it awesome to talk about experiencing Christ? Don't Listen, it's taken me a, quite a bit of time to work through these words, but I want to hear, help clarify it for you. When you're experiencing Jesus, it can happen in an instant. Don't think it takes that long for it to happen. I'm just explaining what's going on in your life when you experience Him. I worked at a boys' camp, and I think I've shared this with you maybe one or two times, but that's all right because I'm 60 now, so I have senior moments. But I, it's, just a, it's just a perfect illustration for this. If you have a, I've always heard, if you have a hammer that drives a nail, after you've driven it, don't throw the hammer away. There'll be another one to drive with it somewhere down the road. I'm going to use it as a hammer one more time in a right way. I was at a Christian sportsman camp one year, uh, hundreds of kids, and I was the Cherokee tribal director. I had, they told me, they said, Wayne, you're going to have 56 11- and 12-year-old little boys you know, I've forgotten all about the fact that 11 and 12 is when the fog rolls in. That's when the brain cells die. You know, you, they, they don't know where they are. They're in no man's land. Stephen's on staff with us now. I've seen a few cells come back. In this past week, we've seen quite a But uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize it. I said, I'm going to love these kids. Yeah, and I, I'm going to tell you, if you don't think what he's saying here is important to your life, I want to promise you, buddy, there's, there's somebody out there you don't know is around. God will put that brother in your life. I went down to registration. I had 12 college counselors and 56, 11 and 12-year-old little criminals. And they came in to register. And while they were registering, they turned the tables upside down. They liked to ruin the place. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these, these kids are animals. One little kid came in, had hearing aids. I liked him because I wear hearing aids. And I thought, you know, he's handicapped. I'll, he'll be my friend. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. You could have hung that kid from a nearest pole and thrown darts at him 10 minutes after we met him for all I care. I mean, he was the biggest pill. You know how he buttered his corn on the cob? He'd butter his hand. Then take his corn on the cob and rub it in his hand just to make the butter get on it. Just to irritate us. Little numbskull. We, we ran him around the lake at 3 o'clock in the morning, stood him in the corner, took his meal eat, eating privileges away from him. That drove us nuts. We were, we were going to celebrate. Remember I said Christian sportsman camp. <laughs> We were going to celebrate when he left, buddy. We are going to celebrate. And the day he was supposed to leave or the last day of the session, the director came by and said, Wayne, I've got some bad news. I said, what's that? He said, Scott's going to be here for another four and a half weeks. <laughs> oh, man. I said, don't tell me that. i got counselors that want to teach him how to swim at the bottom of the lake tied to a center block. <laughs> Somebody's going to kill this kid. I mean, he is a pill. Well, we got all of our counselors together, 12 of them, and one of them was a college freshman. Now, what do they know? The dumbest people on earth. You know, they're, they're seniors, and they go through three months, and now they don't know anything. And so he's sitting there, and this college freshman said, well, maybe he doesn't know Jesus. I said, listen, we've got problems. It's a serial killer. Now, move on. We, we tried to come around. 
finally dawned on me, <laughs> God uses the foolish to confound the wise. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know Jesus. That's the problem. What's wrong with us at a Christian sportsman's camp? So we repented, and we, we, got, we got the file folders out and looked at his file. His mom had been married five different times. He didn't know who his daddy was. Shipped off to a boarding school during the year. Some camp got him for nine weeks during the summer. We didn't know any of that. So we asked God to forgive us for our callous way of living, and we asked him just to love this kid through us. Well, three weeks into the session, glory be, that little boy came to know Christ. It was so awesome. As a matter of fact, it was like a revival started. People were thinking, man, if he can save him, he can save me. You know, it, it was amazing. The last night of the session, after four and a half weeks, the last night we had a big campfire, and we had our Indian garb on. And now, don't go there, okay? I have my loincloth. See, you've already been there. You've gone there. I told you not to do that. Sort of a scary thought. Had my headdress on and my war paint on, and we came in. We came in. And we had. We got in a. We had some more fun, and we just had a wonderful time. We had 200 and some people there from the families, and uh, I was going to mention the rewards. There were two awards. One was the best camper award. Don't get ahead of me. Salvation's one thing. <laughs> Sanctification's another. God's got a long haul. Just get. He's not the best camper. But secondly, was the most improved camper, and he won that. 56 kids voted for him and all the 12 counselors. And I got to call out his name. After we'd done the best camper, I, I called out his name. And I, the only award he probably ever has gotten in his life is the most unlikely to succeed or something. So he came up, and I gave him a, a plaque with, with a shellac on it and some cans. Probably cost us $6.98. He loved it. And he turned around, and I put my hands on his shoulders. I said, Scott, would you like to say thank you to all these boys out here and your counselors that voted for you? Every one of them voted for you. And that little boy tried to open his mouth, and that rascal, that unemotional little rock, broke. And he stood there and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, and God froze that moment in time for me. And he said, Wayne, this is what ministry is all about. It's not bigness. It's not churches. It's not choirs. It's not mission trips. It's people. And if you're not going to walk by the Spirit of God, you're going to walk right by them and never see them because you wouldn't know their need from a hole in the ground unless I showed it to you because of my love in you. That's what God showed me. Well, we got in a big circle. Man, he started crying. I started crying. The kids started crying. The parents started crying. It was a blubbering mess there, but it was just so tender, so precious. I got in a big circle, took their hands. While I was praying, I felt a little arms go around my waist, and a little head buried itself in my lap, and I knew who it was. He'd broken out of that circle and come over and just grabbed me and held on to me and just sobbed. When I finished, I just held that little boy to me, and I'm not sure. We must have stood there for 45 minutes, and neither one of us could say a word, just, just broken. That precious little kid never been loved before in his life, and now he's got a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother in Christ Jesus. Next morning, I saw him. I tried to talk to him. It started all over again. He started crying. I started crying. Got him on the bus put my hand up next to his because I could reach his hand on that trailways bus, only four of them on the bus. Three of them were going to meet their parents for vacation. He was sent back somewhere that somebody would pick him up. It was so sad. And I walked with my hand next to his hand all the way down to that wagon wheel at Camp Rockmont. And the last time I saw that bus leave, that little child's face was up against the window with tears just streaming down his face, trying to catch a glimpse one more time of somebody that had stopped thinking of themselves long enough to realize there are other people all around them. Only God can make us do that, folks. I wish I could say I was that way every day. I'm not. But thank God I know where to run to when I'm not. When you walk by the Spirit of God, He produces His character, 
and it will be love. And if that love is real, it'll be characterized by joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faith beyond anything you've ever seen to believe that the way you're treating somebody is going to have an eternal effect somewhere down the road. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.